you stand tonight?
Romans 8 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. So good to be gathered with you tonight, celebrating and honoring the name of Jesus. I want to remind you as you leave, you can continue to do that by your giving of tithes and offering in our tithe boxes as you leave, or you can continue to give online. Let's declare our declaration over this place tonight. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives, and we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I'm thankful that I don't have to fight on my own, that you, Holy Ghost, give me the power to fight, and ultimately I get to win because you won, Jesus. Tonight we set our gazes on you, we engage your presence, and we prepare our hearts for your word, Lord. I pray you'd help Pastor Randy to preach that which you placed in his soul. Let him deliver it, Lord Jesus, to us. And let us be ready to receive and eat of that word and take action upon it. May we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. 
the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you tonight. It was another hot day, wasn't it? I'll tell you like I told him Wednesday night. It was so hot that I seen a bird blow on a worm before he ate it. That's about how it went over Wednesday night, too. So. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Psalms 95 and 3 says, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all kings. The word of God is full of scriptures just like this declaring to us who God is. And the way we come to know these things is by reading our word. But there's also another way to come to know who he is and that he is who the word of God says he is. And that's by going through life. Now, I probably have a different testimony than most most get saved and they read the word. I read the word because I read the word, I got saved. But I also remember upon giving my life to God and coming to a point and saying, okay, God, this word says this is who you are. Show me. 
And boy, has he ever over the last 25 years of my life while I'm serving him. He's proven time and time again he is who he says he is. He showed me he's faithful, that he's a provider, that he's a deliverer, that he's a healer, that he's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother, that he's forgiving, that he's loving. And I've learned he's everything he promised he was. He is a God who cannot lie. Now, would anybody else agree with me so far of everything that I said? Can I get a second? Oh, can I get a third? However you go. Now, let me see if I can get another amen just like that one. I have learned as much through my bad times in life about God as I have in my good times. There you go. I have truly learned he's my very present help in times of trouble. I've learned he'll never leave me, nor will he forsake me. I've learned that when I pass through the waters, he'll be with me. When I pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over me. When I walk through the fire, I'll not be burned. The flames will not set me ablaze. He's my refuge. He's my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he'll save me from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover me with his feathers and under his wings. I find refuge, his faithfulness is my shield and rampart. I will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in my darkness, nor the plague that destroys midday. Though a thousand fall at my side, ten thousand my right hand, it will not come near me, because if God be for me, who can be against me? Now, I could go on and on about what I've learned through my troubles. And the Bible's full of stories how men and women, their greatest troubles, learned God, who God was and that he was who he said he was. And the Bible confirms us that regardless of who you are, you're going to have troubles in life. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had troubles in this life. Now, I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 14. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I want to read it here. Beginning in verse 22. It said, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out of fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, is it, it, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed to the boat and the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This passage of Scripture can teach us how we can learn life lessons through threatening situations. What I tend to call storms. Life is full of storms and lessons to be learned. Natural storms come in everyday lives at different times. So can even spiritual storms. Everybody in here has been through a natural storm. We know they can come with warning. We know they can come without warning. They can be of different sizes and magnitudes. They can bring devastation. They can bring tragedy. So it can be with spiritual storms as well. But we can learn things from them. They spend millions of dollars studying natural storms to learn from them so we can be better prepared for the next one. I've always said that storms make good sailors. We can learn life lessons from them. If you've ever been in a bad storm, and I mean a real storm, not a rain shower. I'm talking one that brought devastation, destruction, caused chaos and panic and fear to arise. You learn some things from your time of being in that storm. Same with spiritual storms. Some are severe storms, and you can learn life lessons in those storms as well. We're going to draw this conclusion tonight. 
that all those storms aren't pleasant, they can have purpose, can even times be orchestrated by God. Now, tonight I'm talking about storms. I'm talking about severe storms. I'm talking the magnitude of hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes. The disciples of this pastor were caught in a severe storm. Let me just ask you, have you ever gone through one and you made it through? You survived it, you endured it, you came out of it, and you thought, what in the world was all of that about? I mean, big things, such as a serious crisis, a divorce, an abuse, addiction, affliction, loss of a loved one, tragedies, traumatic experiences, emotional trauma, sickness, relational crisis, people having a falling out with you, and you've known them for 20 years. You made it through it, but you sure are confused now. What happens with confusion? It mounts and it mounts and it mounts until you become weary, stressed out, hopeless, depleted because you can't figure out what went wrong. Why did this happen, have to happen? How could this have happened? You're full of questions and you're searching for answers. What happened? You were faithful. You were left confused and now you're unsure about anything being certain anymore. All that's about is, is there's an unresolved issue of your past that you've never got resolved. So you can be free to go forward in your life. Sometimes you're moving your feet, but you're never really going anywhere like you're running in place. Because you can't figure out what the storm was about. I've come to say, if you believe in the sovereignty of God like I do, and that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, that life is not a tale told by a fool, that it's not just a series of chaos, incidents, and accidents, but that God has a master plan that he divinely orchestrates, causing all things to work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. If you truly believe that, then you must believe that for every issue, there is a rational be rationale behind it, a purpose, a lesson to be learned. God's not just sitting in heaven. I'm bored. I don't have nothing to do today. I think I'll allow chaos to come to her life today and to see how she reacts to it. Sometimes our concept of God is off the charts. God's too loving to allow anything to happen to you that don't have purpose behind it. I'm not talking about what you allow to happen to you through your own permissive will and your own consequences. I'm not talking about what God allows to happen to you. He's not mean. He's not bored. Everything has a purpose. Life is not an accident. There are some people who think they were accidentally born. No one was ever accidentally born. The fact of how you were conceived has no bearing on who you are. And if you're alive today, that means you were born, and the Bible clearly states each and every one of us was uniquely created by God with a plan and a purpose attached to your life orchestrated by God. Your life is preordained by God with a purpose. But he doesn't say it will be without trials and struggles, for it was with Christ that he learned obedience to his sufferings. When storms come, we feel like, Lord, what's, it going, to what's going to happen next? If it's not one thing, it's another. It's like you wake up in the morning wondering what's going to happen today. And when something does happen, you go and tell God. Guess what happened to me today, God? You won't believe what he or she did to me today. Or what she said to me today. Or what happened to me today at work. Like he doesn't already know. It's like you're expecting him to say something like, you got to be kidding me. When did that happen? You see, many times when we pray, we think we're updating God. We're giving him the 411. We're giving him the breaking news. We seem not to realize that our God is a strategist, that he organizes and orders our steps for a divine purpose. We seem to not realize that, that he strategically moves us from point A to point B in our lives so that at the appropriate time he can move us to point C. We seem not to realize he has a strategic plan and that he may not let us in on it when he initiates it. Why? Perhaps God don't want us to mess it up. 
don't want us to resist it. If we only knew how many times God was trying to do something good for our lives and we messed it up, we would be shocked. There's been God, times God has spoken to us about his will for our lives. And in knowing them, we think we got to help God out with the plan and end up messing it up like God really needed our help. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. You want to bring him glory? Follow his plans. It must be frustrating to God when he's got a plan for you, a call for you, and you try to take control of it only to mess it up like King Saul. God had a great plan for him, but took control and as a result lost control. We mess things up, and then we have the audacity to blame God for our failures. So many times to keep that from happening, God don't always tell us the plan. Sometimes, yes, he even uses storms to teach us. According to the scripture, Matthew 14, 21, one of the first things he teaches us in our storms, number one is that God is in control. Not only of you, but your circumstances. I want you to notice this. This storm is a setup. It's not an accident. It didn't just happen. He prearranged it. He ordained it. He strategized. He organized for a life lesson. Think about this, people. He just got done feeding the multitude, and then he told disciples, go get in the boat, go across the other side, and I will send the multitude away. What? That kind of sense don't even make sense. Then when he sends the multitude away, it's like he says, I haven't been away from them long enough, so I'll kill some more time, and I'll go up on the mountain and pray. Not just a little prayer. The Bible says he prayed till it was night. So do you think he really didn't know the storm was coming? Do you think he didn't know what was, he was doing when he sent them across? Do you think it caught him off guard? Do you think he was just looking out for his own interests? I know a storm's coming. I'm just going to wait till it's over. Couldn't have someone else sent the multitude home? Couldn't have Jesus just have prayed on the boat? After all, remember in chapter 4 of Mark, he was in the boat with the disciples when he stood up and rebuked the winds and the waves on that boat. No, this storm was no accident. It had a purpose. God had a plan. This is strategically orchestrated by God. He strategically set them in this situation for a divine purpose to teach them a lesson. That's what it means when it states the steps of a righteous man order of the Lord. It doesn't always just mean that every part of God's plan is about blessing you. Even our storms can be ordained by God. Your tests, your inconvenience, your circumstances. This is what brought Job through what I'm teaching you. Because Job, in the height of his affliction, would not curse God's sovereignty. He said, the Lord knoweth the way that I take. And when he's tried me, I'll come forth as pure gold. Look at this descriptive comparison he makes as pure gold. In other words, Job is saying, whatever I'm going through is valuable to me. That's not so easy to comprehend when you're going through a storm, though. God's not shocked your storms come. Yet when it happens, you're so confused. And you're questioning things, such as how could a loving God uh, allow them to repossess a Sunday school teacher's car? Here he is saved, serving God teaching under the power of the Holy Ghost, and they still took his car. While he was teaching on faith and the blessings of God, they're driving the Chevy out of the yard. Now there he sits totally confused while the drug dealer down the road owns two cars living like the devil, and now he has to walk to church. Those things are hard to understand. But learn this. Anytime God does something you don't understand, it means he's up to something to teach you to change you, to correct you, to bless you. You see, you can understand when you don't pay the rent, they can, they can evict you, but you can't understand sometimes why the factory you were working at for 20 years went out. 
cause you not to be able to pay your rent when you've been faithful and tithing for 20 years. Come on, somebody. Hard to understand. And that's happening for my good? I don't see it that way. Anytime God takes you another way, if it's different than the promises you've been standing on in the Word of God, you have trouble understanding why. If I take a different way than usual to Walmart, I got some explaining to do to my wife. The questions begin. Where are you going? Why are you going this way? Well, the reason I did is because I'm up to something. I want to run by here or there on the way there. It's the same with God. May not be the same old way. May not even be the easiest or the shortest way. When God does this, it means he's up to something. God can stop a storm, folks. He proved that in Mark 4. When he stood up and said, peace be still, it was over. The wind and the waves obeyed. He could have done it again here, but it was different. Instead, he set up a series of circumstances to put them in a situation that only a divine experience could get them out of. But why? So they could experience his power, grow deeper in their faith with him, a deeper experience, a deeper level of trusting him. Now, we all have storms in our lives, and like natural storms, sometimes they're isolated to you. Meaning you could be going through something no one else is. But in this storm, it wasn't just Peter going through this. All the disciples were. The whole group was. He doesn't just allow isolated storms. Many times he allows the whole group, the whole congregation, the whole family to go through the storm together. And I can say in my spirit for this church, I feel like at this point, we aren't experiencing isolated storms. We are all in this storm together. Why he's trying to get the whole church to the other side, to point B. He's not just trying to move a few. He's trying to move all of us to the other side. And through this storm, we're going to learn something about God. We never would have learned about God if we had not been gone through this storm. See, it wasn't enough for just one of the 12 to learn it. He wanted all the disciples, the whole congregation, to learn it. For what they learned would be necessary and valuable for them to fulfill their purpose God had called them for. They were fixing to learn just how much they could trust him, learn how powerful he was, how he must be in control for us to survive the storms. Their faith was going to be taken to a new level. This was a lesson about God they would never forget. This storm was going to launch them to the other side. The storm's experience would help others with their storms. How are we going to help the destitute, the poor, the hopeless, the cast down, the hurting, if we've never been through storms or anything else ourselves? And have witnessed the power of God to come through and bring us through it. All the testimonies we are hearing are about storms people have been through. And your experiences will help others to survive. You see, God controlled the crowd, the disciples, the storm, the boat, and the seas. He's not just a God that can only control you. He can also control your surroundings, your circumstances, the timing. All of it is divinely orchestrated by God. It's like being what the fire department calls a controlled burn. God controls all the surroundings. It means he monitors what you're exposed to. We've heard of a controlled environment. It means everything is monitored and planned. Your circumstances are under his control, not just you. And God uses the negative and the positive things to manipulate your circumstances and order your steps. You see, I can believe God used Judas as much as he used Peter to get Jesus to his place. Because Jesus was handpicked to play his role. And at the right time, at the right place, he portrayed Jesus because God allowed him to, planned for him to. 
Because if Jews hadn't betrayed Jesus, it wouldn't have set up the stage for the cross. And if there had been no cross, there would have been no redemption. And if no crucifixion, there would have been no resurrection. God had it all under control, orchestrated it all. It happened at the right time, at the right hour, all in God's timing. If Joseph's brother had betrayed him and sold him as a slave, he never would have got to Egypt and became prime minister and be the one responsible for sparing Israel from a devastating drought, fulfilling his dream. Yes, you can even have a family member betray you for your good, to move you forward, to reposition you, to launch you out. Now, let's move on. One of the second lessons is we're all in the same boat. All the disciples were in this boat. The boat is life. All of them together faced the same storm together, faced the commonality of life together. It's not whether or not you'll be in a storm. It's more a matter of when you will be in a storm. In this life, every one of us will go through storms, in the natural and the spiritual. You live long enough, and it won't be long. You'll find yourself going through one. Spiritual storms, like natural storms, sometimes they're scattered. Sometimes they pass quickly. Sometimes they last for days. Sometimes only producing light rainfall, but sometimes there's devastation and thunder and lightning and damaging winds. Sometimes scattered. You won't experience, but there are those around you who will. And then there's those storms that hit the whole region. And then there's the severe storms that bring destruction. And it makes no difference whether you're Republican, Democrat, Pentecost, or Baptist, male or female, young or old, black or white, rich or poor. We all face storms, troubles. We're all in the same boat, this thing called life. And it's inevitable that we go through life together. People don't realize it. It's like when you're in a storm, we think we're the only ones in it or the only ones that have been this kind of storm. They feel like they're going through something you don't have to go through. And they're envious of you because they feel you're having such a wonderful, stormless life, and they're not. Got a newsflash. Pretty people commit suicide. Wealthy people, people jump off bridges. Successful career people blow their brains out. That don't mean money and success are bad. Poor people kill themselves too. Homeless people commit suicide. What I'm trying to get you to see is pain and suffering touch every level of life. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. The third lesson, God makes night visits. Ever had one? For me, it's about 3 a.m. That's when the old Revelation train pulls into the depot of my mind. (laughs) The lesson to learn is God shows up in your darkest hour. They had seen him in the day feeding 5,000 with two fishes and five loaves of bread. They'd seen him on dry ground on a beautiful sunny day. They'd seen him when life was good. They'd seen him on Mount Olives teaching the Beatitudes, but they'd never seen how he operates in the tempest-tossing sea in the fourth watch of the night. Come on. They didn't know how God could reach them in the night in the middle of a dangerous storm. And a lot of you don't know how he can either. Folks, God never sleeps nor does he slumber. Here they are. They think all alone, just sent them out there. Where is he at? Is this the end of us? It was a very dark hour, a very scary time. The storms were raging. When he gets ready to meet your need, he will come himself if he has to. As he did to the disciples out in the storm. To their surprise, he came walking the water to where they were at, right in the middle of the storm, on the fourth watch, the darkest hour of the night. And I've come to tell some people in the middle of a storm, he's coming to get you. There are certain things about God you can only learn at night. And I'm referencing to when it's dark, when darkness is all around you. In your darkest hour, when they say there's no hope, 
when you wonder how it's going to end. Ever notice how dark it gets in a storm? I'm not talking about a little rain shower. I'm talking about a hurricane, a tornado, a tsunami, where 3 p.m. looks like 3 a.m. Nobody wants the nighttime or the darkness. Every time a storm shows up in my life, I pray what he prayed. Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass over me. Ever been there? Will you plead? Lord, I've had enough. I don't want to go through nothing else. Let me have some peace and quiet. I'm too old for anything else to happen. Hey, I've been through more than the average guy. As a matter of fact, more than my share. To where you find yourself praying, Lord, just let me take a sabbatical. Let me have a vacation. Give me a weekend pass from all this. God, give me a break. I'm tired of this storm. Give me a movie ticket. Give me a night out. Take me to a retreat. Ever been there? Are you there? And it's like God says, no. There are some things about God that only can be seen at night. Can only be seen when you're scared to death. When everything is out of your control. When nothing makes sense anymore. When you're at the point of a breakdown and he shows up. But here's the problem too often when he shows up. They didn't even recognize him when he showed up. I want you to notice two things about his night visit. His timing, his appearance. He came in the fourth watch of the night. He didn't come early in their distress. He came in the nick of time. Later in the storm, he showed up kind of like the Lazarus storm. It's like Jesus occupied himself with things to keep from getting there too soon. It seems like there are times you call on God, and it seems like he just puts you on hold. It's like you call him, hey, Jesus, I'm in a storm. And he says, could you hold on one moment, please? And the elevator music starts playing in your ear. I don't know about you. I hate to be put on hold. I can't take it even for two minutes, especially if it's an emergency. Two minutes in a crisis will seem like a year. I can remember one time my daughter, Brittany, as a teenager. I'm in bed. She, I hear this screeching, screaming death cry going. And my daughter's run into the kitchen and fell on the floor, and she's doubled over. Something's wrong with her stomach. It's killing her. I pick her up, and I take her to the emergency room. I get to the emergency room. And you know how when you get there, you get there, have a seat, please. And my daughter's screaming, something's wrong with her. I sat there about two minutes, and I picked her up out of that wheelchair, and I went right through them doors. I walked back to that room, and I put her on a table. You talk about people showing up then. Here came the nurses. Here came security. Here, and here came the doctor. I said, my, my daughter needs help now. They said, well, sir, you got to fill up paperwork. I'll fill the paperwork up. You just help my daughter. I couldn't wait no longer. I couldn't take it no more. When I call on Jesus, I don't want to hear, could you hold? You know, it's one thing if I'm calling Walmart to find out the price of shotgun shells, and they put me on hold. Because if I get tired of waiting, I'll just hang up. But it's another when I'm calling for an ambulance for my mother who's dying, and they put me on hold. I want to hang up, but I can't. I got to wait. I don't like it, but what other choice do I have? Come on. Have you ever been tempted to hang up when put on hold in an emergency? But because you have such a need, you just endure the music. So it is in a storm. At times, you simply just got to endure. Hallelujah. Jesus came on the fourth watch, seeming to delay his coming on purpose. It's okay we read about it happening. It's easy to understand then. But it's not so funny or understandable when you got a loved one on life support and you just got to hold on. Got a marriage on the divorce docket, but you just got to hold on. Well, you've been a year without a job, but you just got to hold on. 
You have to hold on and believe he's coming. When he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I'll be your very present help in time of trouble. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You've got to believe he's got everything under control. Hallelujah. If he always came when every little thing happened to you, you would never know just how big your God is or just how powerful he is. He's more than a Band-Aid. He's more than a stitch. He has resurrection power. Come on, somebody. Give God praise tonight. Hallelujah. So he comes to the boat. But here's always the strange thing. When that, that, you have prayed for, finally comes, you sometimes don't recognize it. Because it's not just his timing that throws you off, but also his appearance. He shows up, he looks different in a raging storm. He don't look like you thought he would look like. He don't show up like you thought he would. He didn't come when you thought he would come. He didn't come in the way you're, you're familiar with. When the answer came, it didn't look like the answer. You don't recognize him because you have prescripted what the answer will look like. But sometimes he'll show up in another form. In the daytimes, they never asked, is it you, Lord? But at night in the storm with all the darkness, the thunder, and the violent winds, when he appeared, they were all afraid. Peter asked, is it you, Lord? They didn't see him how they just saw him hours earlier feeding the people. He appeared different than them. He appeared in another form. And when God shows up in a different form, different than what you're familiar with, religious folks tend to reject him. People claiming they're tired of the same old, same old. And when God shows up in a different fashion, it's like that definitely can't be God. we got to be honest. Our perception too many times is it's Sunday. We're going to church. It's the right thing to do. Someone's going to teach the word. And honestly, it's like we think we're meeting here in this room and God's locked up away, far away in some other room. Folks, he's here right now. He's involved in your life just as much as every other day as he is on Sunday. We act like he only visits us only on Sunday. Folks, he dwells amongst us and in us, and every day we can experience him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's been the problem with Jesus from the beginning. They were praying and waiting on the Messiah. Because, because he showed up in a manger in Bethlehem through a girl they were suspicious of, and because he was lowly and meek, they would not accept him and reject him. They, were, they had a preconceived ideal of him, and when he came and he didn't fit, fit their speculations, that's the problem with us still today, folks. We think we know too much. We think we got him all figured out. Like we know who he loves and who he will say and who can be fixed and who can't be fixed and who will be judged and who will be rejected. We need to shut up. We don't know him as well as we think we do. Sometimes God uses people I never thought he would. Heals people I never thought he could. Saves people I never thought he would. Sometimes he calls people home I thought he should have left here on earth. The more I live and the more I get to know him, I learn the more I didn't know about him and what he's doing, church. God is in control of it all. Hallelujah. And to correct this problem, we need to show up in here thinking we, know, we don't know anything. The longer I live, the more I realize how little I know. God just keeps on showing me stuff. I've learned more about God in my darkest hours through my storms I ever have on a sunny day. I've learned to trust him to do it. When, however, whenever, I just got to believe he will do it. We're to learn from our experiences. Learn they all have a purpose. Every life lesson ought to teach us more about God. Another lesson this passage teaches us, how to react in a storm. 
Peter, being in this situation, in the boat and the storm, reacts out of his personality. Everybody else is scared and hunkered down. Peter goes, hey, is that you? That's why diversity is so important in the body. Sometimes we need people who are like Peter, radical. Stop wanting everybody to be like you. It will bring balance to your life. Your weakness will be their strength. Their strength will be your weakness. Peter says, hey, if that's you, Lord, bid me to come. But you know, doubting Thomas, who was on the boat, wasn't going to jump up and say that. I'm sure old Thomas was all hunkered down. He'd be like, I don't know who that is. All I know is the devil is a liar. That could be a well or something. I'm not getting out of this boat. And all the while, he was shaking his boots. Both of them were disciples. Both of them loved the Lord. Both of them were anointed. But if they have different reactions to Jesus appearing to the manifestation, here's Peter. He too may be unsure, but he says, hey, see, Peter's confrontational. Some get scared and hide. He yells, if it's you, bid me to cross. I want you to know this. The Bible says Peter came down out of the boat. You don't come down out of a canoe. You don't put 12 disciples in a canoe. Whatever kind of boat they were in, it was big enough. He had to come down out of it to step on the water. Learn this. Bigger the boat, bigger the storm. Let me say, before you pray for a big boat, a big church, a big ministry, and a big career, consider the size of the storm coming and be sure you can handle it. Let's let Peter teach us something right here. You see, Peter was exceptional. He's an exceptional guy. There are people who are just ordinary, had their own appeal. They're just an average person. How many know someone who is exceptional? Newsflash, know this. Exceptional people have exceptional problems. If you're married to an exceptional person, don't be so surprised at the exceptional problems you've been facing in your marriage. If you're an exceptional person, stop expecting normal problems. Don't expect to pastor an exceptional church and have normal problems. Exceptional people like even Joseph are exceptionally hated by his brethren, are up against exceptional attacks, are thrown down into exceptional pits, have exceptional lies told on them, are sold into bondage for exceptional wages for an exceptional amount of years. But know this, though, that when they come out, they come out in an exceptional way. People who do exceptional things, we can all name someone exceptional. We know who've had exceptional battles. Not just Bible people. Exceptional people have exceptional battles. Exceptional people have exceptional victories. They win big. Be careful about putting your foot on an exceptional person. Now, I'm not saying they're perfect people. They can be wrong many times. Because know this. When they're wrong, they're exceptionally wrong. <laughs> but when they're right, they're exceptionally right. How could David who we would all agree was an exceptional person, being so exceptionally anointed, exceptionally gifted, yet fall by having an affair, and to go to the stream of killing her husband. That's being exceptionally wrong. It was one thing to cheat with his wife, but it's another to kill the husband. That's exceptional. Exceptional people have exceptional, exceptional issues, but they come out with exceptional victories. Exceptional people live in a world to themselves because they see everything from an exceptional perspective. And you can't get them to see things normally. Why? Because they're exceptional. Can we be real for a moment, exceptional people? When we get it right, we get it right. But when we get it wrong, we get it really, really, really wrong. 
We'll find ourselves in a creative mess, not your normal mess, to where it's hard for us to call up on normal people and ask them to pray for us because we're in such an exceptional mess. Here you are. You're just all normal. You're praying for your child to get straight A's. Yet here's the exceptional one. She's praying for her child to get off drugs, and she's the deacon's wife. Come on, somebody. But the good news is she's got an exceptional God who does exceptional things, who's able to deliver from your exceptional circumstances. Another lesson teaches us there has to be balance in life. So this don't leave the normal people out then, does it? Now, although we need some Peters, we also need some normal people who are on the boat, who are going to do like the other 11 did. You see, we need balance. We need the normal to balance the exceptional out. We don't need one apart from the other. When you get put two exceptions together, there's no balance. When you get two normal people together, there's no progression. There's more people who are normal than like Peter who hollered at Jesus. There's an underlining tendency of normal people, though, who want to be exceptional. But they just can't seem to get free. Inferiority, intimidation prevails against them. Somehow we think normal is inferior to exceptional. Therefore, making us believe normalcy has no power and isn't necessarily a good thing. That's not true. There has to be a balance in our lives, in your marriage, in your career, in your family, in your ministry. We need balance in the church. Life-threatening situations, storms as I call them, teaches about contradictions in our lives. They expose our weaknesses. They teach us nobody's perfect, including you. We all have flaws. We all have contradictions. Peter here is a clear illustration of how faith and fear can occupy the same person. You see, we have a spirit, but we also have a flesh. And they're contrary to one another. They can create contradictions in our life. It's undeniable that Peter had faith. He had enough faith to holler at Jesus, hey, unlike me, I want to tell you something. If Jesus walked in this room in the flesh, I won't be saying, hey, I'll be falling my face and start singing, just as I am without one plea. But by faith, he hollers, hey, call me to do something I've never done before. Bid me to come to you. Do something supernatural in my life. I'm tired of the same old, same old. And the other living might be comfortable, but I'm not. Hey, if that's you, Lord, bid me to come to you. And the only way was for God to allow him to walk on the water. And by faith, he begins, but something begins to happen. He starts to sink. The Bible says he got scared. Everybody's always criticized him, but he was the only one who had enough faith to try it. The lesson to learn is everybody in this room has contradictions. Like it or not, every one of us at some point or time have been hypocritical about something. Two completely different things exist in us, the spirit and the flesh. It was Paul who said, when I would do good, evil was present. I keep doing the things I hate to do, contradictions. Things contrary to what I believe. Things contrary, contrary to who I want to be. You see, John was the forerunner to Jesus. When Jesus came, he said, this is the one. But when John went to jail and was facing death, he told him, go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one? Or should we look for another? You see, facing death is serious. You'll question things you never had before. You'll believe, I know I'm saved, but then you get a bad report. 
Well, I might ought to pray the sinner's prayer one more time. Well, all, we've all talked about somebody and what they've done that we've been guilty of doing before ourselves. That's why we have problems with our children. We believe they have no contradictions, but they live with us and they're no different. What we need to do is teach them how to survive the contradictions and be honest with them. It's hard to live with contradictions. You're one step this way from victory and one step this way from defeat. Don't know whether to shout or cry. Don't know whether to plan a wedding or a funeral. If you're going up or you're going down, you want more, but you want less. That's what makes marriage tough. When your contradictions meet her contradictions and you're trying to live with one another. You remember the old song? Just the two of us. We can make it as if we try. See, I have a spirit, but I also have a flesh. I'm sure there are days my wife wonders which one's walking in the door tonight. Will I walk in in the spirit or will I walk in in the flesh? And what we've created with our religion is a toxic atmosphere where none of us can be comfortable being transparent. We fear if I tell you what I'm really going through, instead of helping, you'll criticize me. You'll judge my contradictions. We criticize Peter because he got scared. His face should have been greater. Well, what would you have done? Because launching out in the supernatural can be challenging. At least he launched. He wasn't a spectator. He was a participator. Now, one of the final lessons I'm going to talk about through your storms, you'll learn something new about God. That on the other side of your storm is a miracle. When disciples got through this experience, which was life-changing for them, that night both the spectators and the participators learned something new about God. The normal ones and the exceptional ones both came out of this storm with a new respect and insight of God. Because the Bible says that when Peter got back on the boat and the wind ceased, that all the disciples worshiped God for what they had seen. All of us will not be participators, some only spectators. But we'll all benefit from what the participators go through because they took the risk to go into unfamiliar, soft and supernatural. By it, all our lives will be made better. But spectators, you got to quit criticizing the participators. And participators, you got to quit waiting on the spectators. It's a simple principle of leadership. Somebody has to go first. Somebody has to lead the way. So the ones that stay on the boat ought to be praying for the ones trying to walk on the water. And when you see you go, them go under, don't criticize them. Because when they make it back to the boat, as Peter did, it will cause praise and worship to break out like never before in both the spectators and the participators. It says they all worship God because they were all in the same boat. Life lessons learned from the life-threatening situations. Storms will teach you. There is a reason he wants us to go to the other side. If he has to use a storm to get us there, he used a fire once. Some of y'all remember that. Because on the other side of the storm, there is a miracle waiting. In chapter 14, as soon as they got to the other side, he healed everyone they brought to him of their diseases. In Mark 4, immediately after they got through this storm to the other side, he delivered a man who was possessed by thousands of demons. And I've come to tell you, on the other side of your storm tonight is a miracle. 
if my musicians would come, please. This teaching is relevant to all of our lives. Because you see, church, this nation is in a storm. And we're all in it together. It's affecting every one of our lives. It's not only affect, it's affecting the just and the unjust. But the difference between us and the unjust in this storm, God's on our boat. So in order to survive this storm, we must learn these lessons that I just spoke of. Number one, God is in control. No matter what you're going through, God is in control. Not only of you, but your circumstances. We're all in the same boat called life. God makes night visits. He'll show up in your darkest hour. We've got to learn how to react to a storm by faith. There's got to be balance in these times. And we all have contradictions, and we're not all perfect. And you'll learn something new about God through this storm. We all will. That's a miracle on the other side of your storm. Would you stand with me? Lord, help us right here. There's folks in here. You're in a storm. Or you know someone who is. Well, I want to tell you something. We're all in the boat with you. And we're all going to go through the storm with you. And the Lord has led me to do something tonight. Something I haven't seen in a while, but we're going to do it tonight. I need, uh, I need Pastor Kent, Sister Jenny, if you come up here. Give me a... Come on, Craig and Olivia. Come on up here. Josh, if you would come up here. Susan, come on up here. I want you guys to form a line facing each other. Form a line facing each other. Yeah, like that. John, come on up. You can face Josh here. Sister Marvin, come on up and you can be with Susan here. God's wanting you to pass through what you're going through. He wants to take you to the other side where there's a miracle waiting. We're going to do what we've done many times in the past, but like I said, we haven't done a long time. We're going to have a prayer line tonight. And if you're here tonight and you're going through a storm, you know somebody's going through a storm, you got an affliction, you got marital tr troubles, you got children's troubles, you got job troubles, you got financial troubles, you're just going through something tonight. I'm going to ask you if you'll start over here and you can line up. And then when you come, we're going to lay hands on you. We believe in the laying on of hands. We believe in helping you through your storm. And I just believe by the time you get from point A to point B, God's going to do something in your life. I want you to just begin. Come on, James, you right here. Stand there for just a second. If you're here, just begin to line up around them. You can go all the way around the room, whatever. How many people we got people want to go through the prayer line? Maybe you've not been through one in a long time. We're going to anoint you and pray and believe for you tonight. So if you would, begin to line up right over here behind them. Whatever you're going through.
He said, I've got some trials. I got some struggles. I got some things I need to change. I got some things I need help with. It seems like it's one thing after another. It's my family. It's my children. It's my job. Whatever you're going through. And I'm going to have these guys begin to play music. Now, to those that are praying, when you first come up, I want you to give them a simple word. Healing, deliverance, finances, whatever it is. And then you begin to pray on them and pass them right on down the line. That when they pass through, okay? Brother John, if you'll begin to pray. Go ahead, let's go. As you begin, I'm going to pray over this thing. Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we're all on this boat together. We're all in this storm together. We've all been through storms. We all have storms. We know people that are in storms. And tonight, God, I'm believing, God, as they pass through, God, Lord, that by the time they go from point A to point B, God, you're going to begin to do something in their life, God. We have got time, God. We're waiting on you, God, to do what you need to do in our lives tonight. I believe there will be healings, God. I believe there will be, be financial needs met. I believe that, God, you'll break through people's lives. I believe there will be families restored. I believe there will be troubles that will cease tonight, God, Lord. In the mighty hand of God, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead.
Stop working, even when I don't see it, you're working. 
the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Make a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you.
I'd like for my prayer warriors, if you'd line back up one more time, like just like you are. Every single one of us needs a covering. You need a covering of this body. You need a covering of prayer in your life. I'm going to have these guys line back up like you were. If, uh, Greg, you can stand here and pray. Bill, won't you join Greg on this one? We're fixing to dismiss, but you know what? I'm just trying to follow the leading of the Lord. I'm going to ask my prayer warriors to line back up. This time we're going to have a line. Nobody's going to lay hands on you. I'm going to ask my prayer warriors just to start beginning to pray. And as a way of dismissal, if you'll start over here, walk right through this line, take your way right out of this church tonight. Okay? If you would, just find your way. You're not going to be held up. You're passing through. I just want my prayer warriors to begin to pray. Lift your hands. Just walk through. Just begin to pray for this body. Pray for this church. Just walk through. As you walk through, you can be dismissed. Just come on around. Come on around. Just pray. Father, right now. I don't feel it, you work and you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you work. Don't feel it, you work it. Never stop, never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working.
Shine in the darkness, my God, that is sweet. 